Hello and welcome to Best Comics Ever. I'm your host, Dave Houston, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I'm joined today by Zach Quaintance, the founder and head of Comics Bookcase and writer over at The Beat. How's it going, Zach? I'm good, man. How, how are you doing today? I am doing well. I do have to acknowledge here, this is take two due to technical difficulties on my end. So I was better about 20 minutes ago, Zach, I got to say, <laughs> before before our initial take uh, crashed. We're doing a best of 2020 so far podcast here today. We are looking to share some uh, of our favorite reads across Comic Book Herald and Comics Bookcase, hopefully that people can check out, because... The uh, Because of the technical difficulties, what I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend people check out the links in the show notes here. I'll include a link to my own Best of 2020 so far and some links to the guides that Zach has put together over on Comics Bookcase for the full lists. On the podcast here, what we're going to do is we're going to cover off on our top five favorites of the year so far. Some of these are holdovers. They started prior to this year. Some of these are brand new, released this year or just about and uh, let's go through the top five. We're going to do it in descending order. Zach, why don't you go first? I'm kind of cheating on my number five pick here. It only had one issue come out uh, this year. It's Superman Smashes the Clan, uh, written by Gene Lu and Yang and illustrated by Giri Hairu. Okay, that's my no- that's my number two. So <laughs> I've got that super high as well. Uh, yeah, I would. I I honestly would have if all three issues had come out this year. I would have had it number one. Yep. Uh, absolutely love it i think it's a it's best comic dc's put out in probably a decade holistically yeah uh it's very very good uh, yeah like i said the only reason i don't have it higher on my list is because i felt like only having a third of it in 2020 was some i mean not like we have hard fast rules to these lists but <laughs> <laughs> yeah speak for yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> no for anyway, sure yeah. I, I had the same I had the same line of thinking, which was like, well, technically the third issue came out in January. So I'm just going to praise this book wherever I can. Again, again, this is written by Gene Luen Yang art, but the art is absolutely incredible by Guru Hero. It's perfect. It's it's just that perfect all ages blend. Um, This book is so readily accessible to anyone. Like it's kind of mind blowing, honestly, like you can, it, it all ages is such a hard thing to pull off and actually, have that mean all ages as opposed to like yeah it's kid friendly um and but you know some adults might like it or vice versa like no this is really a superman story for for like anybody who can read just about and i think what's one of the things that struck me is so this is their interpretation of a 1940s radio serial um which was superman versus the clan of the fiery cross i believe it's called and I actually went and listened to that after having read the first couple issues. You can find it on YouTube pretty easily. Um, it's a pretty direct adaptation. <laughs> like, I, w- I wasn't aware um, of of the fact that, like, this, the source material is, it doesn't need to be changed as much as you would think or would hope it would need to be changed to be relevant in 2020, you know, which is, which is right. scary, um, but yeah. also I think speaks to how pertinent and relevant this work is. And, and Yang is such a great fit for this as a writer. Um, his his back-of-the-issue essays on basically, like, American race relations and his own experience growing up as an Asian-American, um, they're fascinating, and they're, they're, like, super, super worthwhile perspective. I think they were just published as essays on Publishers Weekly. I might have the source wrong on that. Um, but either way, like, these, these books are fantastic, plus, like, the prestige quality if you actually collected these in issue, um, 
They're these great feeling, like thicker pamphlets. I think each of the three was seven ninety nine. You yeah. know, so it's more expensive, but you get your money's worth. Each one feels like, you know, its own self contained graphic novel in a lot of ways. Um, I was I was blown away by this. Like Superman Smashes the Client is is a must read. Yeah, you know, kind of building on a couple things you said there. I think it it does appeal to readers of all ages, and it, but it doesn't really do the thing that a lot of like all ages superhero material does, which is kind of cater downwards to kids. Right. It's just it's just out there. Anyone can, it's sort of a universal lesson, which is also the thing I think that has kept it relevant for it relevant in that prior time, still relevant today is we need to be reminded of these kind of universal truths, which is that evil like this needs to be confronted. Um, and the, yeah, the essays in the back were fantastic. And um, also it's just incredible to me that this integrates like the, the idea this, Superman serial radio program was the most popular piece of media in the country at that time and was incredibly mm-hmm. influential to sort of shape the country's attitude towards the Klan and racism in that era. And it's a landmark uh, piece of history that's been incorporated into this comic for 2020. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and for those who haven't given this book a look yet, um, it is, you know, it's an out-of-continuity story right it's superman set in that kind of golden age uh when the serial would have been coming out time frame that kind of 40s 50s thing like jimmy olsen is leading um you know like a ymca style youth group and like a softball team and you know you got lois lane in the planet so it's like a lot of the elements are there that you know but it's definitely set in an older era and it's also a, as far as superman is concerned it's a time frame where you know he can't fly he can still yeah. do mega jumps, right? He hasn't developed Runs that ability. Runs on the yet. power lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's got that kind of farm boy Clark Kent um, feel to it in a way, you know, pre, pre sort of just like he can do anything powers wise. And it's also about him discovering that he is the literal alien of the right. story, right? In his own parentage and leaning into the Superman as immigrant metaphor. I think a lot of this could. A lot of this could feel heavy-handed, and I, I just, I was amazed reading it that it never does. No, you know? not at um, any point. Yeah, so it's it's like just really a stunning adaptation of that um, that radio serial, and you know, like I think you you just called it the best DC story of the ten last ten years. That's super high praise. Um, it's definitely my favorite Superman story I've read since probably All Star. Um, yeah. by, by Morrison and, and quietly. So it's, it's way up there. Like this is, this is going on all time lists, I think. Well, I think it's, it's difficult to write a very personal Superman story just because of how powerful he is. It's something most writers struggle with. Um, and by turning the lens inward and making so much of it, particularly in the third act towards the end about his own status as an immigrant and his, his, the way he processes that, uh, they do a really good job of of making him just so relatable. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Okay, anything else you want to say about uh, Superman Smashes the Clan? I think it's out in collected version in bookstores first week in May. So sweet, um, sweet, yeah. perfect timing then. Yeah, that would be a highly recommended read during uh during this quarantine period. So my number five, 
Uh, technically, I had a Mortal Hulk listed here. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to make it my number six pick because I'd rather talk about that. <laughs> I think, like, we all know a Mortal Hulk is really damn good. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's a secret. Um, so instead, I'm going to talk about Machine Gun Wizard. This is a Dark Horse book. Have you read this one, Zach? I have read Machine Gun Wizard, yeah. Okay. Christian Ward. Yeah, written by Christian Ward, uh, art by Sammy Cavella. We got D. Cunniff, Inks, and Hussein Utsman Eloway on letters. Um, Christian Ward, most well-known at this point. Oh, and I, I just said kind of inks. It's D. Cunniff on colors. Um, Christian Ward's most well-known as an artist in his own right. He is a phenomenal artist. He does provide art here for uh, covers. He also helps with, I think, the coloring to sort of like give the feel. I, I read an interview with him where he wanted to continue the feel of a quote-unquote Christian Ward book, even though it was him um, digging into becoming a writer or becoming known yeah. as a writer, I should say. And, uh, you know, Ward, like he's done some of my favorite art of the last, you know, five-ish years, like Black Bolt with um, Salad and Ahmed is amazing, Invisible Kingdom book he's doing with G. Willow Wilson looks phenomenal. So I definitely was a little skeptical of, I guess I'm always a little skeptical of the artist turned writer. Um, move because a lot of times that th they're different skill sets, right? And the storytelling beats don't always overlap. Often they do, right? But that that's it's hard to do <laughs> each one of these tasks, and that's why you know it's it's there are different roles. Uh, Ward pulls it off, I think, um, really successfully. I thought Machine Gun Wizards. It has a, I, I think the best comparison I can make is like like kind of a Hellboy flair to it where it's taking grounded, um, like the the Untouchables era, Al Capone, you know, 20s gangsters in Chicago, and but then it's infusing it with the supernatural. And it, that expands kind of the levels of that supernatural that are in the comic to the point of a giant frog monster being a part of this, but not being goofy, you know? So it's kind of that Hellboy trick of like, somehow we're able to take this seriously, even though there are frogs everywhere, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, which works. And so the premise here, too, is the um, the untouchables, rather than just like shutting down Al Capone's gangster racket that during the Prohibition era here, Prohibition is uh, meant for what's called lick, a.k.a. magic. So it's instead of alcohol, it's the use of magic in the world. And it's like a simple concept, but it's really effective and and quite fun. Elliot Ness is our like kind of our main character you know it's like seeking to shut down corruption and the spread of lick in the city and uh it's four issues and i enjoyed the heck out of it it's a really good book uh what what did you think i liked it a lot yeah it's one of those airtight pitches which is probably i imagine the untouchables meets harry potter and yeah. that's your concept yeah. but the the artwork especially uh makes it so the execution is just really compelling and um a lot of fun, for lack of a better better way to to describe it. I had a lot of fun reading this one. Yeah, totally. It was like a. It took me by surprise with how much I enjoyed it. Um, I really liked how Ward throws in these written and drawn uh, short stories at the end of each yeah. issue that tell the sort of like mysterious. It seems like maybe it's the future or something, but it's definitely you know fantastical supernatural landscape. And then that all kind of all integrates with the main story by the end of the book. In, um, in a pretty cool way, in a way that makes sense. So I'd like to see more from, if not this universe, this creative team, because this was uh, this was a heck of a debut, um, even though it's none of these people's actual debut, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but it had that feel. So that's my rec is Machine Gun Wizards. All right, 
What is your number four? So my number four is Immortal Hulk. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as you say, I think everybody everybody knows, uh, has heard every, cri- every critic, I think, is on board with this book, and we all talk about it all the time. It did. I mean, I do think the interesting thing to talk about, specific, if we're specifically talking, you know, best of 2020, Hulk did have, for me at least, a late 2019-2020 slump. Um, now, a Hulk for Immortal... Hulk, or a, <laughs> A slump for a mortal Hulk is means it's just good. Yeah. It's not knock you out of your chair great. You know, I did think the build to issue 33, I think, is the one that it really gets special again. Um, the one no, that just, no, no, no. Yeah. It's whenever Zemnu shows up. Zemnu, yeah, that's 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 when they start to really turn a corner. But there was a there was a moment before that where things were a little shakier, I thought. It felt a little more standard superhero, and then everything gets weird again when Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, and company say, hey, what if we took this this villain from uh, 70s Defenders that hardly anyone talks about ever and uh, and made him just the weirdest, creepiest, abominable snowman villain for the Hulk? I mean, it's like it, it turned, it, it so quickly came back to, Oh, this is probably the best Marvel book status. Like it's amazing yeah. how they do that, you know? Absolutely, yeah. The and then the the other thing with Zenmu is this sort of weaponization and nostalgia, which is very timely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and how it's sort of I don't know if you want to say poisoning people's minds, but it's not doing them any good. <laughs> it's not <laughs> helping them uh, confront this threat. No, certainly. And, and Zenmu, he's his thing is as interpreted by Ewing and Bennett here is like he keeps telling the reader, you remember me, right? I am the embodiment of all your happy childhood nostalgia, yes. kind of. And and it gets creepier and creepier from there. Um, Bennett, I think, as an artist, has an amazing way of making smiles and friendly faces terrifying. Yes. And I think that's really fitting for, um, for both Hulk and Zemnu as a villain. I actually just saw a tweet yesterday... That was celebrating David um, Lynch's ability to do this in Twin Peaks with actors, where yeah. like um, who's uh, who's Coop, Kyle McLaughlin, like his yeah. smile at the end, right? Like these smiles as the devil has infected you, kind of visuals. Um, that is that is a huge strength of Immortal Hulk here. I also love the pull of the Minotaur out of Jason Aaron's and and Dowderman and Wilson's Thor. Uh, yeah. He has been a, a heck of a villain as the as the embodiment of corporate greed and just like disgusting uh, dismissal of of like you know anyone who is in his way essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, Immortal Hulk is like you can do ten thousand deep dives on each story arc and come away with new takes every time. It's it's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh getting my hands on the hardcover and rereading the first 10 issues during this, uh, this quarantine, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Well worth a binge, um, as well. I think like issue 33 is especially special because it connects to, um, Immortal Hulk number 25, which is that super strange space odyssey that also sets the stage for like, Oh, this is the bigger picture of where we're going. So there's, there's so much cool stuff going on in that book. Uh, it's a must read if you're, I, honestly, it goes beyond just being a Marvel fan. Like that, that one I think breaks the mold. Um, okay, number four on my list was X Men. 
<laughs> so another uh, pretty pretty easy pick. This one's a holdover for me. Um, this is the Jonathan Hickman written Lionel Francis U primarily doing art. Uh, he had some Mamad Asrar uh, issues in there as well, which looked fantastic. Um, X-Men became my favorite book of Dawn of X in 2020. I think it kicked off the year on, I want to say, New Year's Day with X-Men number four, which is the, um, uh, where are they? Somewhere in Switzerland, Davos, I think, uh, like dinner, lunch meeting that Magneto, Professor X, and Apocalypse are having with foreign dignitaries while there's a, um, you know, like assassination attempt, quote unquote, like kind of thing going on in the background. And it's just been excellent from there. Like I find so much to dig into and explore in these issues as the Dawn of X develops and as we try to piece together like how are we how are how are these plans all building back to what was um, kicked off in House of X and Powers of Ten. So there are Dawn of X books I still quite like. Uh, I think Marauders was my favorite at the end of 2019, but X Men has surpassed them all. I'm fully on board with everything that's happening uh where's where's your take on on the dawn of x lineup at this point yeah so x-men is my favorite book i had it just outside my top five at uh number six mm-hmm. uh but yeah x-men's definitely emerged as my my favorite of those um I'm, I'm still reading all of them you know uh not not super into some of them but yeah uh x-force is a highlight for me more Mor- is a highlight for me but x-men just on a different level pushing the overarching narrative ahead um, in really interesting and surprising from issue to issue ways. Like you just never know what the next uh, facet of this new status quo that they're going to explore will be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that's definitely one of the most, it was initially one of the more frustrating things, I think out of house of X and powers of 10 where Hickman, you know, was like, Hey, it's issue three. We're going to do a weird next wavy um, octogenarian, horde culture issue right. <laughs> it was like yeah. it was just like what like this is such a such a left field turn um but now now i'm kind of welcoming those turns where it's just like hey we're doing the brood uh we're gonna, gonna do the brood for two issues and that's gonna yeah be wild and crazy you and i've noticed x fandom sort of turn because they hate it hate it that horticulture issue i yeah. i thought it was hilarious but but they hated it but after getting some more of the i guess like the uh gold coins doled out like or the trail of a uh, of really poignant like sort of status quo advancing issues i think they were more game for that that brood arc um and that seemed to get a, a much better reception for kind of the more slapsticky adventure uh next wavy as you put it which is a really good comparison yeah uh, style stories that i think hickman has an interest in telling her he seems to actually really like that stuff yeah i do think there's such an appetite for answers you know, or at least breadcrumb trails continuing. That's a, yeah, not gold coins, breadcrumb, breadcrumbs. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> it's okay. You've clearly been playing a lot of uh, Mario or, or Zelda or something. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think there's such an appetite for that, that it is this careful balance that um, they don't need to strike because Hickman is pretty notoriously like, I'm going to tell my story and I don't really care what you think, which is kind of awesome. Um, yeah, but, I think you know. we, uh, we used this phrase last time we talked about trust the process, like the, the old yes. 76ers front yes. office. That's how I, that's still where I remain with the Jonathan Hickman X-Men. Totally. Totally. Um, okay. So what is your number three pick? My number three is monstrous from image comics Ooh, by nice. writer Marjorie Liu and artist Sana Takeda. Um, okay. I, I think am hugely it, behind. I'm hugely behind on Monstrous. So so sell me. 
What, I won't go into specifics this? here, but I, I do think it got a boost from this renewed interest in Final Fantasy that's been going around uh, yeah. in, in the zeitgeist. Uh, Monstrous, to me, has always felt like a, a Final Fantasy-esque comic book more than uh, than most, just with the, the sort of fantasy world it's built and the type of quest it has its uh, its hero on and, and the mysterious sort of like power um she's finding within her it's in in later issues i won't go into specifics uh not to spoil anything but it's there's a there's a lot more sort of a political story that takes hold and and kind of a larger look at the society in this world yeah and it's just uh from issue to issue the asana takeda's artwork is it looks like a team of artists rendering these visuals and it's just her drawing it it's pretty stunning um and i i think it's one of the the more uh dense creator owned uh comics out there and probably the best uh original fantasy idea in comics right now nice nice that's awesome um yeah i definitely desperately want to catch up on that that is one of my like top 10 i need to binge this series and and get caught up because i think i read like the first two volumes and i've been super behind ever since um so i'm pretty excited to hear it that high on your list i it seems like one of those books that it's kind of fallen into um, I feel like Paper Girls sort of hit this at a point um, where it's just like everyone knows it's good, so people yeah. don't talk about it as much. Maybe like almost like every Brubaker and Phillips book where it's, it's just a, like we just <laughs> know it's good, you know? This is a recurring thing, I think, with image books because they don't – I think it has to do with they don't come out 12, 12 issues a year, so they go away for three to three to five months at a time. Mm-hmm. Wick, Wick, Wicked and Divine, I think, fell into this for large parts of its run where we just yeah. sort of, we just sort of know it's excellent and take it for granted. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, images there, they continue to be in an interesting space, I think to me, because as I, so like my next book I'm going to talk about is an image book and they, they keep having these books that are very good. Like, you know, the top of image is going to be very good. Um, but at the same time, they're pretty clearly struggling. They don't quite have the dominance they used to. Um, and by used to, I mean like seven, six years ago, right? Yeah. So it's I, I find them fascinating, um, but they do obviously have some great books. Monstrous, one of them. My number three is Ice Cream Man, uh, which Ice is Cream a holdover. Man is, is my number two. Okay, excellent. Yeah, Ice Cream Man is just so fantastically constructed. Every issue is a treat. Um, this is written by W. Maxwell Prince with art by Martin Morazzo. And it's just like, each issue takes a different approach to the story. There's, I guess, technically, there's like a connecting um, Ice Cream Man universe of like the actual quote-unquote cosmic Ice Cream Man and sort of this underlying terror. There, there have like the second arc, I think, is kind of piecing out that world of like who are these forces, you know, that are sort of generating this horror issue by issue. Um, I have to say that's the part that I've been the least interested in for some reason you know it, typically i like that big mystery and, and kind of solving those answers or solving those questions uh but with ice cream man i actually prefer it when they're just like hey we're gonna do our take on all-star superman um hey yeah. we're gonna you know which was like i think it's ice cream man 17 is probably my favorite issue of the year so far um which is just a a riff on morrison quietly all-star superman but it's also It's as if everything went wrong, you know? It's like, what if we did... What if everything about Superman taking Lois Lane to the Fortress of Solitude was creepy, you know? And you real... Like, it's just... It's that thing where I'm like, oh, I never thought about 
how concerning that should be. <laughs> yeah. This guy flies her off to a private place where she can't escape, and it's and, and he they has total that. power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, totally. So, like, that issue is absolutely incredible. I think the issue, at some point shortly before it, there was an issue that was a palindrome mm-hmm. comic. And, and I'm just, I'm such a sucker now for, like, big structural concepts in con- in comics, you know? I think, like, when you read, or at least when I read a ton of single issues, it's so refreshing and rewarding to find a single issue that is like, hey, we're doing something you haven't seen. Um, this isn't just going to tell a linear story. That like um like everything else that you read, which is which is awesome. I'm just like yeah, do it. Let's even if it totally doesn't work, even if I get nothing out of the story, let me see that attempt. <laughs> let me see that experiment. You know. Yeah, they they had an issue that was a crossword puzzle. <laughs> yes. Start to finish, like that. I think uh, what he does is sort of challenge himself to fit these stories into these formulist experiments, and it it like you said, it's really refreshing when. Um, Everything's just a three act structure, uh, big plot point here, big plot point there, and then wrap with a cliffhanger. And you have this anthology horror series that's just fearlessly pl- toying with the format. I mean, it's, I can't look away. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It continues to be my favorite, uh, nearly my favorite book of every year. I think it is, it's my favorite ongoing comic at this point as I look at the, the two I have ranked above it. Cause we talked about Superman Smashes the Clan. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about the other one too, but it's definitely my so. favorite <laughs> ongoing. The same number uh, one. <laughs> yeah. So, so you said your number two was Ice Cream Man. My number two was Superman Smashes the Clan. I think that brings us to what I have to think is the shared number one: uh, Dragon Hoops. It is Dragon Hoops, indeed. Yes, I had that as my number one. All right. So hit me with your. So I, this was a book that I expected to really enjoy. I didn't expect to love it to the point that I'm like, this is probably just going to be one of my favorite comics. <laughs> like, yeah. It, like ever. Um, All time. What, uh, what was your like experience reading this book? Well, I think we're probably similarly when I'm a big basketball fan and I went into mm-hmm. it expecting it to be sort of like, I knew Gene Luang Yang was not a big basketball fan. Um, and I thought it, it would be, I don't know, like just sort of him fi- learning to appreciate the game. And, and I know he's a good storyteller and I love basketball. So that seemed like a pleasant enough sure. read, but, but it ends up being about life like in this like larger <laughs> sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, yeah. it's so, so Dragon Hoops, for those who are not as familiar, um, is a graphic novel. I believe it's released by First Second. Yeah. And it's written and drawn by Gene Luen Yang, who's an incredible comic book storyteller. He's done work like... Um, what is it? Chinese born American, American yeah. born Chinese, American one, born one Chinese. of the two. Thank you. And, um, and boxers and saints is a, a favorite of mine. And then obviously we talked about like Superman smashes the clan or he's written, he's actually written just straight up Superman for DC, which comes up in this book. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was the piece of, and, and dragon hoops is it's an autobiographical account of his time at a high school in California. That is one of the premier, uh, high school programs, like really in the nation, but especially in California. And yeah, this Bishop school, O'Dowd in Oakland. Thank you. Yes, um, they've got NBA caliber players uh, on this team, and it's about their attempt to get their first men's state championship ever. Despite the fact that they've been to the state championships like five, like more than five times um, over the last few decades, they're so, like the Buffalo Bills of losing the California <laughs> State Basketball Championship. Yeah, yeah, and like the coach of the team at the time that that Yang is on. 
um, was on a team that made it there, and they they had a, a loss in heartbreaking fashion. And I don't even want to share too many more details because, despite like my own love of basketball, I didn't know the specifics certainly of the Bishop O'Dowd program. So there was that level of things where I was like, oh man, like they've, they yeah, the the Bills are a good comparison, the Cubs, my beloved Cubbies. I feel like they've got that level of like almost lovable losers, um, even though they're like really good, <laughs> you yeah. know, they just can't quite win at all. Uh, but so that part of it alone is fascinating. But then you've got Yang's own journey as an artist, basically trying to figure out like, what is, what's my next project? Um, it's in the wake of him finishing boxers and saints. He's kind of like, well, there's this maybe basketball story, but I don't like basketball and I don't like sports. So do I really want to make my next graphic novel entirely about that? What if they lose again? Like that's, that's not going to be a good book. So he's actually, you're getting a lot of the creative process stuff as we go through this narrative of a high school basketball team. Um, so it's like, it's like, remember the Titans meets, um, you know, portrait of the artist as a young man. (laughs) It's like, uh, understanding comics by Scott McCloud too. Yes, I, I, yes. I felt a lot of uh, influence from that on this book. That was the piece that I probably expected the least, where Yang straight up explains the game of basketball in its history. And as somebody who likes basketball, as somebody who has played basketball at a you know a, a school athletics level, <laughs> like yeah. I learned a lot about the game me too me too same situation and and also i the i I mean i was always aware that uh these catholic prep schools have these high-powered basketball program but he actually draws a line to the creation of the game and why these catholic prep schools are so involved with basketball which is really fascinating yeah yeah exactly um so there's like and that and that's the thing too is like there's a history piece about like oh here's how james naismith created it and it's kind of like oh that that's really interesting but then yang takes that a step further where he's like, well, what was women, like? What were women's role in advancing the game? What, um, how did race play a role in the '40s when like George Mikan was the best player yeah. on the what is it, the Minnesota Lakers, Minneapolis Lakers at that time? Um, so these sorts of like, I don't, these sort of social issues that intersect with the game and the way that it has either helped or hindered the the evolution of that. I mean, it's just like, it, it's just like masterful um, ability to sort of explain how basketball has progressed and you know where we are and why we are here from I think in a way that like only only an outsider sort of looking at the game fresh could have done almost yeah you know that's a great point I mean he sees it coming coming to it new and learning to appreciate it much later in life than I think a lot a lot of basketball fans do he did bring an entirely different perspective to it and I think I've been I've been raving about this book and the question I tend to hear from from people I'm trying to convince to read it the most is like, well, do I have to like basketball to, yeah. to care about this? And I think it goes both ways. Like if, if you're familiar with the game, his outside outsider's ability to sort of integrate uh, a lot of the history and draw these through lines that you've maybe taken for granted or missed is really, is really interesting. And if you don't like the game at all, you can go right along with him on his own journey because yeah. he was you 10 years ago or whenever this this process started exactly exactly um yeah it's a i i do think there's stuff to gain from kind of liking basketball like there are nba players who show up as high schoolers in this that i was like oh no way yeah (laughs) i I, like he's he's with a school at this level that's amazing um but honestly like you don't need that context to appreciate yang 
trying to decide, uh, you know, what portion of his life to dedicate to his family versus traveling with the basketball team. You know what I mean? Like very universal yeah. um, lessons in there. And if you're a big superhero fan, and I mean, I'm sure you remember him writing Superman and a, a part of his journey is also deciding whether or not to kind of step out of his comfort zone and do that. And there's a, mm-hmm. there's a convert, not, not to get too specific, but there's a conversation that takes place with an unidentified DC editor. And if you follow the insider industry yeah. stuff closely, you can probably guess. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's, that was really cool too. You get a little bit of that inside baseball about his move. Um, I think following up what would have been Greg Pox run on action comics, uh, which, um, which have you, have you read? Actually, I went back and read it as a result of, of reading this book. Yeah, I, I read it as it was coming out and didn't hate it as much as everyone, but that's sort of par for the course with me with a lot of superhero stuff. <laughs> I just don't take it as seriously. And then, yeah. But yeah, what did you think? Did you, did you find it valuable or was I, it worthwhile? I, I thought it was, I didn't, I, I really like the POC run a lot, actually. I think that's pretty underrated. I thought Yang kind of missed, actually, on Superman. Like, I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. Yeah. I kind of expected to because I love so much of his other work. Um, even the stuff he's doing, he's actually doing an ongoing DC book right now, The Terrifics, which um, it, like kind of saved that series for me. I thought that book kind of sucked, and um, and he stepped in, and it's actually become very, very fun, including The Terrifics number twenty five, which is one of my favorite issues. That of was the great. Year. Yeah, yeah, it's a choose your own adventure book with art by Dan Mora. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, his his Superman, I actually thought like wasn't the greatest, and it's kind of fascinating to like put this autobiographical piece on top of it and be like. Well, yeah, he was really busy. <laughs> you know, like he had a lot going on. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I do think it adds a lot to that. Um, I would recommend people check it out because there are some really interesting ideas in that Superman run. I, th- I think, you know, he's definitely not the type of writer who's going to, even if you, even if it doesn't work for you, it's a run that's going to make you think a little bit. He's know? trying stuff. And uh, his if, his, if you haven't read his new Superman book with came with rebirth oh, i i yeah. also really recommend that comic i, I love new bit. superman yeah yes that, that is. was a highlight of rebirth for me if i was if i was listing totally favorites from that era totally um okay so i think pretty unanimous on dragon hoops uh all right what is let's let's leave with one sort of under the radar less well-known pick um, you don't have to go in too much detail, but just a quick like, hey, check out this book. A lot of people aren't talking about it. That's a good one. Yeah, Lolo Woods. Um, it's part of the DC Comics Hill House Horror Books by mm-hmm. Carmen Maria Machado and artist Danny. Um, I, it's doing something with horror that I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen before, which really says a lot because horror is is a very well explored genre of of uh, stories. But yeah, I, I I'm liking that one quite a bit, and don't hear too many people talking about it. Nice, nice. I love the pick. Yeah, I'm I'm way behind on like everything Hill House because I'm I'm not typically a horror fan. I get spooked yeah. very easily, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm worried they'll keep me up at night. Yeah. Um, but I'm that's interesting. I'm curious to check that out. My pick, uh, for a less discussed book, it's inside my top ten. I had it at number eight. It's Bog Bodies. This is a graphic novel oh, yeah. written by Declan Shalvey, who is another um, probably most well-known as an artist, even though he's he's definitely a very, very capable storyteller in his own right, as we see here. Uh, this graphic novel, it's it's basically one night in, in like, Irish crime in the woods, you know? So it's like, um, it, it has, like, kind of in Bruges vibes, um, kind of Miller's Crossing, I think, just because of the region. And it's basically just, like, two, um, like, henchmen, essentially, uh, need to uh, 
take out one of their own, this like young kid who kind of messed up a deal and somebody's got to pay, right? So the boss has somebody who has to pay. And uh, it's basically the graphic novel is just like one night of trying to make that happen out in the woods. And uh, it's like, it's awesome. <laughs> it's such an easy one night read. Uh, it looks great. And uh, the language and the dialogue and everything about it is just, it's got that fun sort of like casual cursing, like cursing is poetry that I feel like works best with like certain European accents, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and this definitely has it in spades. So if you haven't read Bog Bodies, I think, I don't, I, I feel like it's released by image is probably why I had a copy. Um, but it's, you know, it's a Declan Shalvey book. So check it out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I haven't had a chance to read that one. I have it on my, my tablet right now. Um, if I could, one other one that I think will, will end up being, it's not out yet. It's kind of in limbo because of what's going on. But yeah. uh, the uh, forthcoming Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney project, uh, was it Firepower? Mm. Have you have you had a chance to read that? They, they sent out the uh, prelude graphic novel right before everything shut down. I haven't read but it yet, no. That, that is going to be a massive hit. We're, we're talking about image. I think what we were talking about earlier, kind of struggling a little bit, looking for their next big hit. Yeah. This has serious potential to be that. Nice. I mean, definitely yeah. like the fact that it's got Samney attached to it has me instantly fascinated. Um, I've, I, where, are you, where are you at on Kirkman as a creator right now? Like, because he's had, it's not like he hasn't had launches since Walking Dead, but it doesn't seem like anything's quite taken off. Are you a big like, are you like keeping up with all his projects? I keep up with all his stuff. Yeah, yeah. I definitely keep up with all his stuff, but yeah, he just, uh, I think he's tried a few things here and there and nothing's really captured people's imagination the way, uh, walking dead or even invincible did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the one though. I like, I, I've only read that prelude graphic now, but I could not put it down. Like it, it was compulsively readable and Chris Samney, like, uh, one of the best comic storytellers that, that we have though so awesome. this could be it awesome i'm excited to check that out all right cool uh that's gonna do it for us i'll i'll let you get to your your day um thanks for sticking with me i really appreciate yeah, it yeah no worries where can fun. people find you uh comicsbookcase.com and then on on both twitter and instagram is comicsbookcase Cool, cool. And I'm Dave. You can find me at Comic Book Herald pretty much anywhere online. Thanks for listening, everybody. Again, I will include include links to our picks in the show notes if you want to explore some of the best that 2020 has to offer. And uh, hopefully we can do an update as new comics start coming out again, which, uh, again, fingers crossed, should be uh, pretty soon.